How many of you have an older brother? How many of you have an older brother? I've got an older brother who is eight years older than I am. And typically what happens when you have an older brother, you idolize them. You're like, they are so cool. I want to be like them. That was me with my big brother. In fact, I remember uh, when I was about nine years old, so my brother was like a senior in high school. He had some of his friends come over to the house, and I was like, these guys are so cool. I remember specifically, they had, they had tank tops on tucked into their shorts or their jeans or whatever they were wearing, and they had backwards baseball hats. And I was like, wow, those guys are cool. So again, because I idolized my brother, I went and found my little baseball hat, my, my little league, whatever it happened to be. I put it on backwards, and I come and I, and I go into the living room or the family room to hang out with my brother and his friends. Because that's what every high school senior wants to do is hang out with this nine-year-old brother. And I'm hanging out with them, and I'm like, this is great. They're like, letting me hang out with them. It was wonderful. Little did I realize, maybe they didn't quite want me to hang out with them. Maybe they were putting up with me for a moment. Because a couple minutes later, they all, they took their belts off. And if you remember, like I grew up in the 90s, so their belt was like that braided leather belt. Like if you still have one of those, I'm not judging. They were cool back then. They all took their belts off, and they hogtied me. They took my hands and my feet. They tied me up behind my back, and then they carried me outside and put me headfirst into a garbage can. My recollection, I was in that trash can for 30 minutes. My brother swears it was less than a minute, so it was probably somewhere in between there, closer to what I said. But that is the case. Isn't it funny how we can convince ourselves in relationships that we are accepted, that we are right in, in this relationship, even maybe without realizing maybe we aren't. I mean, of course, to every nine-year-old, why wouldn't my high school senior brother want to hang out with his little brother when his friends are there? And we have this ability to convince ourselves, man, I'm right. I'm right in this relationship. Things are, are, are just the way they should be, regardless of the circumstances. It goes beyond that, though. How about this? How many of you ever thought, that you had a relationship with somebody and you thought things were fine between you to find out they really weren't. Like you had no idea there was a strained relationship, but you just carried on like everything is just honky-dory. In fact, I've got a friend who uh, was going through some hard stuff and they would call and they would, would talk to me about it. They would complain about the hard stuff they were going through. So I said, man, I've got great advice for you. I'm really good at giving advice. So I kept giving him, man, here's some good advice. Here's what you need to do. This will solve your situation. And uh, unbeknownst to me, they didn't really want advice. They wanted sympathy. And without saying anything to me, they became upset. They became hurt. And they became uh, upset with me, but they didn't tell me that. And so here I continue in the relationship. I continue as if everything is fine. We're wonderful in our relationship. Well, they're frustrated and finally, it comes to a head where they just blow up all over me. Blah, 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 blah. You do this. You do that. And I thought, where's that coming from? I, I thought, I thought we were tight. I thought we were fine. Where is this coming from? I mean, you've ever had that happen to you where you think that relationship is, is fine and normal and tight. And then all of a sudden you realize, man, maybe we aren't as tight as I thought we were. In fact, let me take this idea even, even just a little bit further on how easy it is for us to fool ourselves in relationships. My favorite comedian is a guy by the name of Tim Hawkins. And if you want to go and waste a couple hours on YouTube, go search Tim Hawkins on YouTube, and you will laugh your head off. He is a funny guy. About a year ago, 
Tim Hawkins decided to step aside from his very successful comedy career. He put a pause on the comedy career. He said it was, it was difficult. It put a strain on his relationships by always traveling and, and doing all this comedy stuff. And I remember hearing an interview, a podcast, and they, and they said, Tim, what is the hardest part of what you do? And he said, this is the hardest part. This is the hardest part. He said, people watch all my comedy shows. They watch all my stuff on YouTube, and, and, and they connect with it. They connect with it. They, they connect with me, and they feel like they know me. They feel like, hey, we're friends. We're tight. We're family. And so then I'd be out in public, and they would see me in public, and they'd come up, and they'd hug me. We're like, oh, we're BFFs. Come hang out with me. I'm your best friend. And he said, the hardest thing is they knew me, but I didn't quite know them. See, there's a difference here. There's a, there's a difference. They knew him. They loved him, but he didn't quite know them. How many of you have ever experienced that? Maybe there is someone, uh, maybe it's an extended family member. Maybe it's your mom's friend on Facebook. And they feel like they know you because of what they read on social media, because of what they hear about you. And they come up to you and like, oh, you're the greatest thing. And I'm like, I don't even know who you are. Why are you hugging me? Right? You've been there. You've experienced that. I bring this up because this January, we are in a sermon series that we call, it's all about relationships. We're, we're understanding that, that in our life and in our faith, our life and our faith is all about relationships. It's all about our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. And so as we start 2021 out, we wanted to take some time to prioritize these relationships, to prioritize how do we grow in our relationship with God and how do we grow in our relationship with one another. And today, we're specifically talking about our relationship with God. And I want to challenge us to consider, I want to challenge every one of us to consider how easy it is for us to define our relationship with God on maybe some external factors. And maybe that our, our conscious, our brain can fool ourselves into thinking we are in a right relationship with God, but maybe things are actually strained. Where maybe, maybe we think we're good, but in reality, we, don't, we aren't quite so good with God at that point. And we miss the key part of our relationship with God, which is ultimately to give our heart to him. The text that we're in today, Matthew chapter 7, this is probably one of the most humbling uh, and sobering, surprising, and maybe even frightening passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. And why, why is this passage so, so, so frightening? Because just, just hear what Jesus said. Jesus just said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. He says, on that day, many people will say to me, well, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Jesus, we did many good works in your name. And Jesus responds to them and says, depart from me, for I never knew you. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that passage and I'm like, how is that even possible? How is that even possible for someone to say, Jesus, you're Lord, you're Lord. To call someone Lord means that you, uh, you are giving someone the honor and respect that's due them. Which means, when you say Lord, that means you're my master. You're my leader. I submit myself to you. It's like, how is that possible to call Jesus Lord, but Jesus says, depart me, and I never knew you. How is it possible for people to do mighty works in Jesus' name, 
to prophesy, to cast out demons without actually knowing who Jesus is and having a genuine relationship with him. In fact, this is not just possible. It's actually probable. Because if you look, if you look at this text, and I underline this word, Jesus says many, many people, not just a few, many will say to me. And you know what that means? It means here we are in church today, watching church online. There are people who've been serving in church, have been going to church for years. There are people who have served in ministry, people who have gone on mission trips, people who have served in leadership roles in the church. And ultimately, there are some of those people who do not actually belong to the kingdom of God. Some of us who have been to church our entire lives do not actually have a true and genuine and saving relationship with Jesus. And I'll just be honest, I want every one of us in this room hearing this message today to feel a little bit of pressure, to feel, to have a little bit of fear that these verses should put in our hearts. Because it's that pressure, it's that fear that ultimately should result in our humility, ultimately should result in us recognizing that we are in need of the grace of God in our lives. And so while this is a hard passage, and while I want it to, to bring a little bit of humility into our hearts, Jesus didn't give this passage to, to rob us of joy or, or to, to rob us of our assurance of where we stand with God. In fact, this text is here so that we can understand the type of relationship that God wants to have with us. So we can understand what is it that God is wanting from us. So we're going to be in this passage. There's two things I want to point out that, that tell us the same thing. They tell us a type of relationship that God wants to have with us. Number one, look at verse 21. Here, here, here's what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That is who will enter the kingdom of God. And the question becomes, if that's what Jesus says, then what is the will of the Father in heaven? What is his will? What is his will? This is where we have to understand, uh, to answer, to understand that question, to understand what the will of the Father is. We need to understand the context of this passage of Scripture. Because Scripture is not isolated by itself. This passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 7, it fits into a larger context uh, of Matthew chapter 5 through 7, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus heading into the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has spent 30 years in obscurity. And it was finally time for him to, to pursue his mission, his purpose. And so Jesus is going to spend three years doing miracles and teaching about the kingdom of God as he marches towards the cross to offer his life as a sacrifice. And the Sermon on the Mount is the first recorded sermon that we see Jesus preach as he begins his earthly ministry marching towards the cross. And this, this, this Sermon on the Mount is specifically designed to address and to correct uh, the common view of what it meant to be spiritual in Jesus' day. See, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the scribes and the Pharisees, they took the Scripture, they took the Bible, and they whittled it down to a bunch of rules. They said, Here, here's, here, here's what it is. It's a bunch of rules, and the rules were defined by those religious leaders, by the way. And they said, listen, if you're going to be right with God... If you're going to have a right relationship with God, then you've got to do all these things. 
You've got to do all these commandments. You've got to obey all these things. If you do all these things, then you can be right with God. There are all these external things. You can only eat certain things. You can only wear certain things. You can only vote for certain people. And if you did all these things, then you were spiritual. Then you were right with God. And Jesus, again, he spent 30 years on the earth at this point, listening to what these scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders, had been teaching the people. And he said, that is not what God intended. That is not what God intended, that we just have a bunch of rules we've got to follow, and that, de- that determines how, how, how right we are with God. And so Jesus introduces his Sermon on the Mount to push back against the idea that God is looking for us to conform to a bunch of external religious rules. He says that's not what God wants. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus says, You have heard it said, Thou shalt not murder. And the religious leaders are like, yeah, yeah, we've heard that. We don't ever murder anybody. Look how great we are. We don't murder people. We're we're so right with God. God's so thankful to have me on his team because I'm not a murderer. And Jesus says, okay, hold up. Hold up a second. He says, you've heard it said thou shalt not murder, but verse 22, Jesus says, I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother and sister is guilty. Jesus says, listen, it's not just about your external actions. It goes deeper than that. And he continues in this Matthew chapter 5. He says, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Religious leaders are like, yeah, man, we're so great. Look how awesome we are. We don't commit adultery. But then Jesus says this in verse 28. But I tell you, anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has committed adultery in his heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard it said, love thy neighbor. Religious leaders are like, yes, we're awesome. We love people. We love our neighbor so good. Jesus says, hold up, hold up. Verse 44, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, the will of God, the will of God is not just we follow a bunch of external religious rules. It's the will of God is not that we be a good person, that we, we play the part of being a good Christian. The will of God is not that we have this external obedience to, to, to a bunch of rules. It's more than just actions. The will of God is this, that we actually give our heart to him. Not just our actions, but we actually allow him to have control of our heart. See, the heart, the heart is the, the control center of our being. The the heart is who we are. It's what motivates us. It's what leads us to make the decisions that we make. And Jesus is saying, listen, God doesn't just want you to follow the rules. God wants your heart. He wants the center of who you are. He wants all of you to to be given over to him. That is the will of God. In fact, I love this. In Matthew uh, chapter, excuse me, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus, again, in another passage, is talking to the religious leaders. And this is what he says about them. These people, they honor me with their lips. They honor me with their actions, but their heart is far from me. And that is how it is possible. That is how it's possible for people in the church to go to church their entire lives, to serve in the church, to build their life around the teachings of God, but still miss out on the kingdom of God. Because God's not just looking for our external obedience. He's looking for our heart. 
He's not looking for us to follow a bunch of rules of this is what it means to be a good Christian. He's looking for our heart to be fully given to him. In fact, look at this. He's going to continue. Here's the second thing. He's going to continue the same idea about us giving our hearts to God. He says in verse 22, Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, On that day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not cast out demons in your name? And didn't we do mighty works in your name? And Jesus said, then I, God, I declare to them, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. I think about how often we misread those verses. How often we misread that verse. Oftentimes, we are so quick to read that verse to say, God doesn't accept us because I, me, because I didn't know him. Well, God wouldn't accept me because I didn't know him. And so we think, man, well, I know God. Man, I, this is wonderful. I know God. I'm, I'm good because I know God. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, depart from me because I, God, never knew you. It's not a matter of whether you know him. It's whether he knows you because there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote the book, uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, in the Chronicles of Narnia series. And there's, a, there's a powerful scene in, in that book, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, where, where you've got Edmund, uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the kids, and you've got Cousin Eustace, who's kind of the weird guy. He's kind of funny. I enjoy him. And Edmund, is, they're on the ship, the Dawn Treader. They're, they're traveling uh, in, the, in, in the water. And Edmund is talking about his experiences with Aslan. He's saying, man, we've had all these wonderful things that have happened with us in Aslan. And cousin Edmund says, he says, he says who is this Ad Aslan? Do you know him? And Edmund's response is, well, he knows me. He's a great lion. He's the son of the emperor beyond the sea. He saved me. He saved Nar Narnia. In fact, it's Aslan's country that we're sailing to. Now, do you think Edmund knew Aslan? Well, yes, he did. He knew Aslan. But Edmund was thinking less about his knowledge. He was thinking less about his own thoughts about Aslan. He was le thinking less about his own beliefs about Aslan and focused more on the fact that Aslan knew him. Aslan loved him. Aslan gave his life for Edmund on the stone table when Edmund was a traitor. So yes, yes, Edmund knew Aslan, but more importantly, Aslan knew Edmund. Listen, do you know God? Do you know God? That's awesome. But the greater question is, does God actually know you? Does God know you? You might have a lot of knowledge about God. You might know a lot about him. But does he know you? Have you opened your heart and given your life over to him? Let me ask you this. Do you use your knowledge about God to affirm your own thoughts and to tell other people how wrong they are? Or do you allow God to change your thoughts that you can just sit in the presence of being known by him? Because there's a huge difference between the two. See, Jesus in this passage of Scripture He's not trying to scare us. He's not trying to overwhelm us. 
in love, he's trying to make sure that we know the key to the kingdom of God. He wants to make sure we know the key to actually having a real and saving and true relationship with him. And it's not just knowledge about him. It's not just following a bunch of rules and looking the part and living like a good Christian. The key to our relationship with God, the key is our heart. Because a true relationship with God is a result of us giving our heart to him. That is what a true relationship is all about, us giving our heart to him. That our priority in our relationship is not just external obedience and knowledge, but our priority is to actually experience God in a personal way, to have a relationship with him. It's where we come to the point where we say, okay, if, if that's what our relationship with God is supposed to be, how do I grow in that? We're talking about growing our relationships this year. How do I grow my relationship with God? How do I grow in giving my heart over to God? And I'm going to come back to something that we said last week. Last week we said to love is simply to give attention. To love is to give attention. To love God, to give him your heart, is to give him attention. Which means we allow who he is and what he thinks and what he says to be important to us means we actually have to listen to him. Not always want to be the one talking, but we actually listen. And we give attention not just to his commands, not to what we need to do for him, not to what the church says we should do, not to what somebody else says we need to do for God, but we give attention to actually having communion with God, a relationship with God, to experience him, not just to know him, but to be known by him. Knowing his heart, allowing him and his thoughts and his words to fill our heart, to fill our lives, and to begin to change us. That's what it means for us to experience God. Man, the simplest things that we want to, man, if you want to grow in our relationship with him, of giving our heart over to him, we've got to be people that open up the Bible, that read scripture. You know, it's crazy to think about it's crazy to think about this. I'll meet with somebody who says, man, I'm going through the hardest season of my life. I've got this going on in this relationship. I've got this going on personally. I've got this sin issue. I've got this financial issue. I'm like, man, you've got an overwhelming weight on your shoulders. When's the last time you read scripture? When's the last time you opened up the Bible to say, God, would you speak to me? But we've got to be people that open up the scriptures. The scriptures is a revelation of who God is towards us. It's his love letter to us. We've got to be people who are, are just opening up the word of God and giving him that attention. And beyond just reading scripture, we've got to be people who are in, in this communication with him through prayer. Where we're actually giving him that attention speaking to him and listening to him through prayer. In fact, let me, just, let me just ask you a couple of questions. Some questions that you can answer just between you and God. And maybe it might reveal some areas maybe that you're not giving attention to him. Or maybe you've prioritized this external knowledge and, and obedience rather than actually giving your heart over to him. Listen, your faith, your faith is more about what you are doing for God or is it more about you simply being with God? When you think about your faith, which is more important to you? 
Doing things for God or just being with him? When you think about the things of our faith, things like scripture, things about going to church, things like loving and serving people, are those things you have to do because they're on a list of what good Christian people do? Or are they ways that you actually experience God? Because those things are completely different. It's one thing to have a list of all these things we've got to do for God. It's another thing to say, man, I do these things because I can experience his presence when I do them. Do you approach, do you approach God's word to affirm your thoughts and your beliefs and your convictions? Or do you allow the word of God to change you, to change your thoughts, to change your beliefs, to change your convictions, to change your hearts? So often what we do is we have this idea about politics, about life, about religion, about whatever it is, and we look for a verse to, to, to justify why we feel that way. Do you use the word of God to support what you think? Or do you open the word of God and say, God, would you change me? Would you change the way I think? Would you change the way I process? Do you use knowledge about God to judge other people? To argue with them? To try and convince them of your truth? Or does the word of God actually challenge you to love them just as God has loved you? Last question, do you know God? And does God actually know you? Let me tell you about how God actually came to know me. And the difference that God knowing me has made a difference in my life. See, I grew up, <clears throat> I grew up in the Mormon church. And I, I learned that, that I had to earn God's approval. That's the way I was raised. I had to have all that external obedience. I had to follow all the rules in order for God to accept me, very much like the Pharisees. All the stuff I had to do to be right with God. And I was taught that the more you do, the more God likes you. The better of a person you are, the more God likes you and loves you and accepts you. And that was fine with me because I was pretty good at looking the part. I was pretty good at following the rules and looking the part of being a good Christian, a good moral person. Until that day in my junior year of high school, when I heard a pastor talk about having an assurance of my relationship with God, having an assurance, an assurance of where I stood with God. And I remember that day was so different. It was different than any other day. Because I knew God. I knew about God. I had knowledge. But I couldn't be certain that God actually knew me. Despite being a religious person for most of my life, despite all the rules I followed, despite how I could look the part of being a good Christian, I think that was the day that my heart actually became open to God. And I allowed God to know me. And I'll tell you what, there was this change that resulted. I went home that day and I, and I opened up the scriptures and I could not get enough. I couldn't get enough of the word of God. And I wasn't coming to scriptures. When I opened the Bible, it wasn't a chore for me anymore. It wasn't opening the Bible so I could see this is what I have to do to make God happy with me. It wasn't me trying to figure out what commandments I had to follow and what I had to do to make God proud of me. It all of a sudden became different where I began to learn who God really was. 
And it began to change my heart, even though I was a religious person already. And I read things like this. I was blown away. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. He quotes Isaiah and says things like this. God, does not, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. That more than my external obedience, more than me being a good person, God wanted my, my heart. He wanted to change my motivations. He wanted to change me from the inside out. And as I open my heart to God and I allow God to know me, no longer was my faith built around me doing a bunch of things for God. So God can say, look how great you are. And I can be proud and say, look how wonderful I am, God. You're so lucky to have me. Soon I became, and I actually have a relationship with him. And I can experience God. Listen today. Do you know God? Praise God for that. But does God know you? God wants more. God wants nothing more than for you and I to open our hearts up to him, to surrender our hearts to him, to give him all of who we are, and to allow him to know us. In fact, God wants that so much. God wants so much for us to open up our hearts to him that he sent his son Jesus to the cross. He sent Jesus to the cross not to make us religious people, not to give us a bunch of rules we have to follow to try and earn God's favor. No, God sent Jesus to the cross so that God could come into a relationship and know us. 